If you have your uh, Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to 2 John. 2 John is the second shortest book that's in the Bible. It's in your New Testament, and that's the text that we're going to be using this morning as we talk about that. But while you're, while you're flipping to that or typing it into your, uh, your phone or your tablet, I, I just, just curious, have any of you ever been selected for jury duty before? I, I will never forget. Okay, a couple of us. Now, what's your perspective? Like, you get the thing in for jury duty. How many of you are like, man, this is a great opportunity for me to be a part of and experience our, our rights and our justice system? Like, you're, how many of you think? No? All right, there are a couple of us. Okay, all right, there are a few of us in, in first service. How many of you are like, I got way more important things to do? Like, this is the last thing I want to do. Okay, yeah, the majority of people don't want to do that. So I got selected for uh, jury duty, or at least I had to, uh, had to come in for them to interview me. And they sent, in Ohio, they sent a little card, and you had to fill out a bunch of information about yourself and send it back in. And they give you a date, so you go to the court courthouse, and you're there. There are like 30 people there. Everybody was going to go in and get questioned and interviewed and stuff like that. One of the things that made it really memorable is I went in, and one of my best friends was there. He had gotten selected as well. His name was Greg. So we're going, you know, talked about how cool it would be if we acted like we didn't know each other, and then we could both be on the jury and talk about the case and like all the, although I don't, I don't think you're supposed to do any of that, so I'm just kidding. Like we wouldn't have actually done that, but so we, so we get all lined up. We're in a particular order. I was last in line, which I, I thought was interesting. And so we go in. There's the first 12 people are put in the jury box, and the rest of us are sitting on benches around the courtroom. And they go through and start questioning everybody. Now, the people in the jury box were the ones who got most of the attention. And so I, I don't know if this is exactly how it works, but I, my thinking was, well, they, they must have somehow gotten together and, and prosecuted in defense and said, well, these are probably our first choices, but we'll see once we get there and had them all uh, set out there. I was last. So just kind of a side note, a jury duty pro tip that under your occupation, when you fill out the information for the form, just put clergy because they don't they do not want you on the jury. <laughs> uh, so just for the record, if, if you want to go, th- oh, the, the whole perjury thing is there too. But uh, So, you know, just a side note. So we go through, and my friend Greg is in the jury box, and he gets selected for jury duty. And so this is cool. I'm a little disappointed because I don't get to find out what happens, you know, with all the details of the case. But I know, hey, I'll get to find out what the result of it was. And I'm not going to share all the juicy details of the case, but it was one of those things where uh, the prosecutor got up, and they started saying, what if I told you that this is what happened in this situation? And, you know, everybody gasps in the room. It's like, wow, this is, this is a big deal. There are moral issues here. There, you know, some crazy things happening. And so go through and ask their questions. Then the, prosec- uh, then the defense lawyer gets up, and the defendant is actually in the courtroom, which I thought was a little interesting. You know, I was like, I don't want him to be able to, not- you know, <laughs> point me out, you know, when we're out in public or anything. But so uh, he gets up and he said, well, what if I told you this? And he gives a whole nother perspective on the case and, and what was going on and, and the limited amount of details that they, they could give us. And everybody, uh, you know, it's kind of the reaction was, this is crazy. Like, now I don't know what to think. I'm conflicted. There's two different sides here. What's happening? And so my, my friend Greg went through, I mean, it was a months-long trial process, and it was long, and he couldn't give me any details about the case, uh, but he finally, the case was over, and he said, hey, I've got the verdict uh, for what happened, the, it's, it's all done. So guess, I, I know some of you don't know the details of it, so you're not necessarily on the edge of your seat, but I'm going to tell you what happened. Hung jury. 
So all of that effort, all of that work, months-long trial process, just out the window. I mean, it was all just basically a waste of time. That All the evidence that was brought up, all the facts and all the, the truth that is out there. Like two, There are two people that know exactly what happened and what the truth of the matter is. Nobody could actually figure that out. As much evidence as they had, as much as somebody there was lying and not telling the truth, 12 people could not figure out and could not come to an agreement about what actually happened happen, what, what the result should be in that scenario. You know, all kinds of different ideas and worldviews about, uh, you know, perspective on what was going on there, and one or two people were the holdouts for that not to happen. So the rest of it is just tossed out. I mean, it's crazy. We know that in situations like that, the truth is out there. I mean, we know that it exists because something happened. That's why we're, that's why we're here, and that's why we're talking about it. But it can be infuriating. I mean, it can be really frustrating to not be able to figure out exactly what it is and what has happened. And it's something that we're confronted with all the time as we live out our lives. It's like, what, what is really the truth of the matter? How do we get down into the nitty-gritty of what actually happened, what the facts are, and how it's supposed to impact our life? Everybody's got a different perspective, Everybody's got a different opinion. When we were kids, the truth was a little bit more black and white. I mean, it's true or false. The answer to the question is yes or no. And as we get older and as we get around more grown-ups, we start to discover that the truth is often more complicated, or at least our older counterparts, you know, the adults around us often perhaps more accurately made the truth more complicated in their lives. We kind of like to mix the black and white into murky grays. We like to come up with alternative scenarios in which, well, you know, this is generally true and this is kind of the guideline here, but in this, you know, over here it's, it's different because, you know, you're special and, and, and you're, you're different than what the general scenario is. And it's not entirely surprising that as a culture and as, as a people, we're kind of left wondering, all right, so this whole idea about truth, like is that, is that something we can actually know? Is that actually something that, that we know, like how that's supposed to interact with our lives and affect what we do with them? In one of Jesus' more famous interactions leading up to his crucifixion, he's cross-examined by Pontius Pilate, who's trying to determine whether or not there actually is a case against him. And so they're talking, Pontius Pilate has talked to the religious leaders, and he said, Hey, why are you bringing this guy Jesus to me? What, what's the deal here? They said, don't worry about that. We just want to execute him. Like, that's the only reason we're here. So don't worry about the facts. Don't worry about, you know, the issues that are here. We're all dealing with that. It's kind of an internal matter, but we want to be able to kill him. So we're bringing him to you. So Pilate is interviewing Jesus. He's trying to figure out, all right, what is the reasonable, you know, reaction here? Like, what, what is he actually doing? Is, is he trying to cause an insurrection what, what's happening here? And so in John chapter 18, verses 7, 37 and 38, Pilate says, he finally says to Jesus, you're a king then. Like that's the issue is that they think you're trying to take over politically. And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate's response is, well, what is truth? With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So it was Pilate just, you know, waxing philosophical, you know, was he interested in epistemology here? Like, is he trying to get clever with Jesus? Or is he pointing out something a little bit more poignant? That as Jesus is talking, he said, no, the real reason I'm here, the, the entire reason I'm here that I was born is, is to 
is to testify to the truth. That's the issue here, and people don't like that. In fact, Pilate's response is a little sarcastic where he says, well, the whole reason you and I are talking has nothing to do with the truth. Like, no, nobody cares about that in this situation. The religious leaders didn't bring you here based on an issue of truth. It's wholly based on an issue of ideology and what Jesus represented and how he was against what the religious leaders of the day stood for and, and that the truth that Jesus represented was against the ideology that they wanted to hold on to. For them, the truth didn't matter. They weren't interested in finding that out. And so when it comes to the truth and, you know, this idea that we wrestle with, I'm not so sure that most of us need to start with a question, what is truth, and go from there. I think most of the time we need to start with a question, what do, does the truth actually even matter to us? Because it, if, if we pursue it and we go after it, is it actually, are we going to let it affect our lives? Is it going to change how we react to things? Is it going to change how we live? More and more truth is entrenched in just ideology without any kind of practical objectivity in how it's lived out. Relativism gives us moral ambiguity. It suggests that there's absolutely no absolute truth, right? I, which is a self-defeating claim. Right? I mean, that's right within that is absolutely no absolute truth. That's, that is entirely true that there's no truth. You know, you know, it's one of those things that we take and we try to make a lot more complicated than, than, it, than it really is. We say, oh, well, it's, a, it's a based on your perspective and it's, it's your, you know, the cultural issues that you have. And while some of those things impact how we view and live out truth, that doesn't change the fact that there's certain things that are, are true, are objective in reality. I mean, the fact that we have a defined word Name truth, right, right? That, that has a definition, and that's what it, it doesn't change. It's not like ethereal and, and goes, and it's, it's based on things that are fact, which is ob- objective reality. means that we, we have to deal with things that are in absolutes. What's really happening is we're a lot more comfortable in gray than we are in black and white. Because the reality is, is that if there's truth, if there's objective truth, then we'd be responsible for it. If truth is subjective, then, well, then you have your truth over here, you have your truth over here, you have your truth over here, and we're good, like, let's just leave each other alone, and then we're not responsible to each other, especially when it's not in our favor. You know, this is, this is why Pontius Pilate gets to, in his react, interaction with Jesus at the end of it, say, well, I'm just going to wash my hands of this, because the issue isn't about truth. It's about the ideology and how, how the truth might actually impact his culpability and his responsibility in the issue. What's interesting is when it's flipped around and it's against us, like we get ticked. If, if somehow the truth is not in our favor, it's against something that we've picked, it affects us. Let's talk about alternative facts this morning. You guys want to? Like, can we press into that? Can we talk about some fake news? Like, let, you want to really get into, let, let's talk about how the truth impacts us and when it's not what we want it to be, right? And how we respond to that and how we act. She hit me. He hit me first. Well, uh, this is why I did it and this is why, you know, we've all got our reason, our perspective of what should be the truth. And we're often so shocked and offended based on ideals and ideology that we want to hold that we really don't want the truth to interfere with at all. Our default position is often that we're willing to ignore what the truth is so we don't have to give up our ideology. So, so we don't have to 
correct ourselves to be consistent with the foundation of truth in our life. We're so willing to often condemn and defend the same actions in the same breath, depending on which ideology we're talking about at the time. Uh, I would love, Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy, and I would love to read the first half of the whole first chapter to you this morning. But here's, here's one of the things that he points out. He says, the power of mere ideas is a matter about which intellectuals commonly deceive themselves and intentionally or not also mislead the public. They constantly take in hand the most powerful factors in human life, ideas, and most importantly, ideas about what is good and right. And how they handle and live them thoroughly pervades our world in its every aspect. And so when it comes down to it, when we talk about truth and this idea of like what is that and how is that represented and what does the Bible have to say about it, it causes us to bring our ideas to that and test our ideas against the truth that the Bible talks about and determine like what's going on here, what's black and white, is this a gray area and what does God have to say? When Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by through me. It causes us to suspend or at least consider whether or not the ideas that we bring to the Bible or about God may or may not be true. And that impacts how we live out our lives in relation to God. So in, in 2 John, John writes a letter about the truth and how it's meant to shape how we relate to God and each other. Verse 1 of Second John, the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also who know, all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So John starts off, he refers to him, uh, the elder. He's the old guy. He's the apostle that's been around longer than anybody else. He's been teaching about Jesus and sharing with the churches. And he's writing to a sister church. He's, he's writing to them and he's saying, hey, I just want to encourage you in the things that we've been talking about and the things that I've been teaching about who Jesus is and, and who God is as a result of what Jesus has done and remind you that, man, we're, we're supposed to live on the foundation of truth through who Jesus is. That, that part of the, what brings us together and gives us a common foundation and objective reality of which we base all of our actions and our thoughts and how we live out this life is given to us by God through Jesus. And in fact, in verse chapter 2, he, he shares with us that there is a, uh, a truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, which points back to something Jesus said in John chapter uh, 14. Verse 15 through 17 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. In other words, when it comes to us living out our faith in our life, there, there's a unity that's supposed to be represented by the indwelling of God's presence and his spirit that guides us into living out the truth in our lives. 
It's represented by obedience to God's command, and the whole impetus behind that is to be able to truly love one another the way that God has called us to. But it also enables us, as Christ followers, when we're following God together, to be unified in our life. That's part of how truth is represented in what we do, is that truth is meant to be a unifier in our life, not a divider among us, because our foundation is the same. It's got to be God's truth. Now, truth isn't always a unifier in our lives, right? It doesn't always work out that way. And I'm not just talking about the conversation that you have with your friend when they say, how does this make me look? And you give them a real answer, right? I'm not talking about just those kind of scenarios. I'm also talking about the scenarios where you talk to your friend and say, look, this, this relationship that you're in, it's terrible for you. This is damaging you. It's, it's not good for your, for your life. And think about the reaction that you might get from that. Or are you saying, hey, these things that you're doing, that you're choosing to use your time on, like, that's not good for you. That's taking you in an unhealthy direction in your life, and you should stop doing that. You think about maybe you've had those conversations with a friend before. Maybe a friend has had that conversation with you, and think about your immediate reaction. It's not often you know what, I really needed to hear that perspective. Thank you so much for telling me that I'm making stupid mistakes, right? It's like, I don't know why these things keep happening to me. Well, because you make the same dumb mistake over and over again, right? Like most of the time our friends are not, oh, thanks for, thanks for pointing that out. And, and yet th- this is the problem is that we're not sometimes very interested in hearing what the actual truth is, right? We just want to be affirmed and feel better uh, about ourselves, when the issue is our ideas and our thinking about who God is in our life is often making us miserable because we're not living on a foundation of truth from God. Truth unites us when we choose the foundation of that truth as being, as being God, and it's observed outwardly by our obedience to that truth. See, deception, lies about that truth, takes us away from love. That's one of the indicators we have in our life, is that anything that removes truth removes love in our lives. Jesus absolutely came in the fullness of grace, but he also came in the fullness of truth. The same guy who said to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you, also said, go and sin no more. Where there's, there's this completeness that comes along with the truth of God's word in our life, that, that we're the ones who choose condemnation and wrong ideologies in in our lives. We talk about how important ideas are, for example. Like, for example, do you see yourself in this life as needing to be saved from God or from yourself? Which idea do you base your idea of faith and salvation on? Who who do you need to be saved from? Because God's not the one with the problem. You, You and I are. We're the ones who are deceived by, by ourselves and the choices that we make and the own actions. When we go off on our own and say, hey, I, I think this scenario, I, I don't know if God is right in this area, so I'm going to kind of forge and blaze my own path. That's, that's when we get off kilter. Sometimes we convince ourselves that, that love is not obedience to God's commands, but it's actually uh, trying to figure out how we, we change the scenario for our lives based on what we think is right for us. So we, things, we say things like, well, not always, just sometimes. Or we'll say, eh, it depends on your situation. Yeah, this may be generally true, but this depends on your situation. Or if it's only a little bit. Or we'll say, well, as long as no one else gets hurt. Like, you, it's subjective. You know, you get to choose whatever you want as long as nobody else gets hurt. Or do it only if you mean it. 
or unless you really love each other. Like, this is how things should be unless you really love each other. We'll say, sort of. You know, and, and the reality is, is, is we're making a choice as to whether or not to follow truth or our own ideas. That's the scenario that we're all faced with in this life. What truth will we actually choose, ours or God's? John warns of uh, dividers who live outside of the truth and how they affect us in the church and in life. Second John, verse 7, he says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. John is essentially saying a Christian's like, real has to recognize real. Like this, this is how this is supposed to, you're supposed to be able to recognize who people are representing when they're teaching about who God is and the ideas that they're, sh- they're sharing based on the teachings that Jesus has, has given us. In fact, one of the indicators, uh, you know, one of the warnings that, that you can use in your life is, is when you hear people who are spiritual leaders or people talking about spiritual things that talk a lot about God, but never about Jesus. It's because the reality is that, you know, it keeps us from getting too specific about who God is when we keep Jesus out of the picture. And so we get to bring in a bunch of, kind of, a bunch of ideas that make us a little bit more comfortable, keep us in some gray areas where one of the things that happens is we get caught up in these cute, pithy theological sayings that kind of base, we base our faith and our ideas about who God is and how it's meant to impact our life. Uh, um, so I, I want to give you some examples. So like one is, We'll say things like, God's love is unconditional. Wow, that's, that's a heaven way. So you're saying God's love is not unconditional? Well, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Sounds like a condition, right? Or, or we'll say things like, God wants me to be happy. I don't know that he's worried about that. I think he wants to make us holy and for us to be holy as he is holy. We'll say things like, God won't give me more than I can handle. If, if that's true for you, you should be up here and I should be sitting out there. Because I mean, like, that's not how it's worked out for me. I absolutely have plenty more than I can handle. The issue is whether or not I'm trying to do it on my own strength or if I'm allowing God to take over. Or we'll say things like, everything happens for a reason. That sounds really spiritual, right? No, it's, <laughs> crap happens. Like, like that's, it's not a biblical idea. Or we'll say things like, it's not my place to judge another person. It's not true. The problem is, is we tend to judge people who are outside the church because it makes us feel better about ourselves. <laughs> You know, so we'll look at other people and say, look how terrible that person is and how good I am. I've earned God's, you know, favor, and, and, and that's so, so great about me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not what we're called to do. But we are, we are called to judge each other, to live in love and obedience to his commands so that we can all be living and walking in the truth. Because that's what love looks like. 
That's, that's the idea that God has for us, is that we're living and walking in the truth together. If there is something, uh, one of the things that John says in verse, verse 9 is that anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If there is something I could um, uh, make happen for you and, and for me, it, it would be to have an insatiable desire and love for God's word. For, for, you, to, for you to want so desperately to know and understand and live out God's word in your life. That, that you would study your Bible and that you would apply it to you. Because this is, this is the opportunity that we have been given by God to have his word become flesh through Jesus, for him to teach us the truth about who God is and to have that word preserved for us over centuries, for us to be able to know who God is and live our lives on that foundation. And, and if, I could, if I could choose something for you, that, that would be one of the top things for you, is that, is that daily you would be in his word, that you would know the way and the truth and the life that is represented in the text so that you can live out the life that God has created and called you to. Paul writes uh, to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, there is a time, verses 3 and 4, there is a time uh, that will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own, own desires, they will gather around them and a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to God's myths. And, and so we come up to this, this choice when it comes to truth and say, man, is, is the Bible, is it really God's word? Is it, is it meant for me to, to take things from it and say, well, here's what I'm going to do and here are the things I'm going to ignore? Or is this prayer that Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse 17, true? He says, sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. That, that God's truth isn't just this abstract concept that we kind of think about and, and that it should make you know, us, us feel better, have a better perspective on life, but it's actually the way to life. And so John says to the church, whoever continues in the teaching of Jesus gets it. That they don't just get a way and a truth and a life, that they get the way, the truth, and the life. And so he continues on and he says, here's the... Here's the truth, the power of God's truth in your life and the foundation that we're supposed to live on top of and, and out of. The truth that God wants us to know and love out of is this, that you and I are sinners. That, that's where we start is that our ideas uh, about life and about God, whatever those things are, they're broken. They're, they're wrong, that we do things that are wrong, that, that, are, that are sin, and those things separate us from God. We're sinners, we're separated from God, and that we need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. Every, everything else comes out of and lives out of that foundational truth in our lives. And that God gives us and enables us to be saved as a result of Jesus. The word that became flesh, Jesus, we're enabled by that, we're sustained by his Holy Spirit to, for this. That truth is the conceptual and physical manifestation of God's word in our life. It's meant to be the foundational constant for how we live out and, and have ideas about what we do in our daily living and how it impacts us 
and those around us. We all have a particular code or belief system that is incontrovertible to our life, whether it's your politics, uh, your social issues, whether it's your relationships, where you say, no, this is how things are. And I'm going to base everything about, about my conversations, the arguments I have with other people, the way I teach uh, you know, children how to live, all those kinds of things. These are the things I'm going to base them out on. And what we're called to do as Christ followers is say, was well, all that based on the foundation of Jesus? Because he's the truth. That's what he came. That's what he represented uh, for us. That's what he taught. This is the promise, and this is the promise that we have when we live according to God's truth in Jesus. Verse 3 of 2 John. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. This is why every week at Velocity, we celebrate communion with each other. Because we, we base our worship of God and our daily living on the foundation of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to be a living sacrifice for our sin. Is that, that we can be reconciled by God, that we're not, we're, not set up, we're, we're not separated anymore from God because of what he's done. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart to be his children and that we can live on that foundation and have the way, the truth, and the life, not only for ourselves and our own benefit. That's not, that's not the point. But it's so we, can, so we can share in that love with each other and with those who don't yet have it. That's why we worship together. That's why we live out this truth. That's why we, we love each other by being obedient to his commands and sharing in that foundation. And so we take a little bit of bread that represents Jesus' broken body. We take a little bit of juice that represents his spilled blood for us so that we can live and walk in the truth. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, the honor and privilege it is to be able to even come and give you an offering of worship this morning that that we get to even have some sort of response to the salvation that you give us that you allow us to be the way that you work in and through our lives the lives of our our fellow Christ followers and and those who don't yet know Jesus God we just ask that uh, that we take that honor and that awesome responsibility and privilege and and base the foundation of our lives on that. That everything that we do, that every idea that we have, um, every situation that we run across, that we uh, run those through the filter of, of your truth. Because it's about love. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.